We are going to go to Galatians chapter 6 today, and we are wrapping up a series that we have been working on. Ephesians starts next week. Ephesians 1 will be next week, but Galatians chapter 6. But one of the things we need to do in order to get there is step back into Galatians chapter 5, kind of review a little bit of what happened last week. Sometimes in the summer, it's a little more difficult for people, for folks, because of a lot of going and coming, and, and I need to do some of that too, and will. Uh, and, and I think it's great that we're able to do that and be able to go and get away and have respite. But sometimes in the summer, especially, it's hard to kind of stay in sync, especially if you're doing a series. So sometimes I try to recap a little bit of the previous week, but you can go back and listen to the whole message. So I'm not going to preach that for you today. But Galatians 5, 22 through 26, let's read that. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. You know, we could stop right there. Because there's a fruit of the Spirit. Make sure you understand. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit. And out of love come these other things, right? Joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Fruit of the Spirit, last week you saw the slide that we had up last week, and we'll go through those today. I'm going to talk a little bit more about the last two that we didn't talk about last week because I believe it transitions us into Galatians chapter 6, which I'll get to in just a little bit. But I want to go through these uh, well, one thing I want to, let's, let's put the Timothy Keller slide up, because I want to remind you as I closed last week, and I won't spend a lot of time on this, but just remind you that Timothy Keller says that Christian, these are the signs of Christian growth, basically. And he says they're gradual. You can only measure them over time. There's a lot of times we can have something for a moment, and you go, boy, he's really living into whatever that is, but we don't continue to live into it. But it's only measured over time. It's Christian growth. Have you ever seen anybody who gave their life to the Lord and they are hot on fire for him? I mean, they're on the street corner. They're on it. But you see them two months later, there's no fire left. So it's gradual. Secondly, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you're being filled and you have been filled and are being filled with the Spirit, growth is inevitable. Thirdly, as he would say, is that it's internal. In other words, he's saying one is, and we talked about it last week, just because you have a gift of the Spirit doesn't mean the Spirit is thriving inside of you. Doesn't mean you're grace-filled. Doesn't mean that you're kind-hearted. Doesn't mean you're any of those things. You could have a gift of the Spirit and still not be changing internal. So what, what Keller would say is the fruits are not what make the tree alive. Fruits are the sign that the tree is alive. And the last one is, he would mention, is symmetrical. You do not get one part of the fruit of the Spirit growing without all the parts growing. That's a shocker to some of you. Because you think you can pick and choose. You've come to this conclusion. Well, I've read that Galatians 5, 
22 a lot of times. And yeah, I'm doing all right on these, but at least I'm in the range. And here's the other thing I just want to say right here is that some of these will come more natural to you. Some of you are just kinder. For whatever reason, because of your makeup, you're just kinder. But it doesn't mean because you're kinder that you're reliable. We talked about that. You could be an extrovert, and you could be this outgoing, and everybody loves you, but they can't count on you, which is faithfulness. They're all growing. But at different paces, I'll give you that. I realize some are easier, like I said. Some are easier for you to step into because it's more natural bent. But they all should be growing. Would people think of you as being kind? Would that be one of the first things they think of? I said last week, and I'll get into these here in just a minute. The older we get, the kinder we should be. And for some reason, we've given this exception in culture that you get away with stuff as you get older just because you can. <laughs> and I don't see that in Scripture. I just don't see it in Scripture. But anyway, joy. Let's go through them real quick and see. Let's go back to the other slide if you don't mind. Joy. Christian joy is not the same as happiness. It is not dependent on circumstances. The joy, joy which is a facet of love, trusts God even in the most trying circumstances. Joy accepts trial as divine blessing in disguise. Lord, what are you up to? What are you up to? I said last week, joy is the greatest defender against temptation, divorce, addiction, and the greatest offense for transforming the world around you. A prayer from years ago when I would go through trials. I was going through one about 18 years ago. And God gave me this prayer. Lord, as you toughen my skin, soften my heart. I don't know where you're going to take me someday, Lord. I don't know what you're up to in my life. But what I want to know is that you make me as tough as you want me to be. But never allow my heart to get hard. Peace. A peacemaker. A reconciler. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers. He does not say blessed are the what? Peacekeepers. See, most of us, if we think of peacekeepers, we do, as I mentioned last week, we don't want conflict. It could be in a home. I just want conflict to be gone. But there, there may be lack of conflict. That's a peacekeeper. But a peacemaker is a person who's helping make the situation whole. They're not allowing things to stay under the rug. They're allowing those things to be, restitution to be brought back, forgiveness to be instilled, wholeness to be brought back. What a calling we have if we could have that operating in our lives, to be people who are bringing people back together, not only to God, but to each other. What a calling. We have been given, Paul says, the ministry. The ministry. The only ministry you have is the one of reconciliation. It's not divisiveness. Hello? That is not a gift of the Spirit. It is nowhere. Matter of fact, you're mentioned somewhere else. Under sins. But I'll come back to that a little bit later. Why? But how we have to walk this out in order to be able to do that. Forbearance. Many of us have heard interpretation of patience over the years, but forbearance or long-suffering, 
What we love about this is you truly have the option. In other words, you are in the right. But because of the work of the Spirit in your life, you are able with joy and peace to not enforce your right. You give up the right to be right. You do it for the good of others. You do it for the advancement of the kingdom. You begin to look at everything in your life. You begin to look at the things that you could say, hey, that's a right for me. I could do that and never would bother me. It could be for me many years, 30 years ago, it was alcohol. I had every right to and had every right to do it. But I didn't want to become a stumbling block to others. And you've got others. You've got things. You have things. When you begin to look at this, you begin to walk in the Spirit, you begin to look at things in your life and go, what are those things that I know I have the right to do, even biblically, but I give up that right for the good of others? Whatever that is. And you don't have to do what I'm saying. What I'm saying is you begin to look at those things in your life. And what you looked at 10 years ago and what you will look at today are different. Should be. They, they should be. You don't think of my rights first. Kindness. Perhaps nothing more frequently discredits one's testimony than unkindness. Kindness is love, and we'll talk about it more in a minute. Kindness is love dealing with others in their faults. Like driving down the interstate and somebody does something stupid. As we mentioned last week, it's a reason why we don't give out stickers here that you put on your back window because you don't respond most of the time very well. (laughs) But kindness. Somebody steps in front of you in line at the grocery store. But man, it goes a lot further than that. Goodness. The deliberate, the deliberate preference to live for right over for wrong. In other words, you not just, it becomes innate to you. Eventually, you don't even have to think about it. It becomes such a part of you. But you, some of you today, and we'll talk about self-control, self-discipline, you literally have to think about it. It has to become a discipline in your life to begin to think right versus wrong. And what's right is, is what lines up with God's righteousness. So you need to know God's word. You need to know God's character. Then it helps you figure out what's right and wrong. You may have been taught things in your church life from legalism, and you may have to step back from that a little bit. Or you've been taught from your liberalism somewhere along the way. You may have to step back and go, oh, well, okay, maybe I need to bring that in. Whichever way you want to go about it. But you begin to think about this different. But you do it, and it's not a stagnant faith. You should continue to grow in goodness. And as I said earlier in my prayer, goodness is love in action. It is love heaping benefits on others. See how these all have to work together? Because you can't do goodness without forbearance. It's just not going to happen. I mean, of course, you can't do any of them without agape love, unconditional love, sacrificial love. You just can't do it. You can have some, you can have some uh, what do you want to call it, uh, counterfeit that you call something. Like we talked about last week, you could say I'm a person of peace, and the reality is you just don't care. That's not peace. <laughs> okay, that's indifference. And in fact, many things in life we need to have indifference about, but don't confuse that with what we're talking about in peace. 
That's a counterfeit version of peace. And the last one is faith before we get into the others. It's translated faithfulness rather than faith. And we, we, we believe in faith, and there is teaching we do on faith itself. But what this means here is you're reliable, you're loyal, and you're courageous. Let me say that again. Reliable, loyal, courageous. You can be counted on. What a concept in our culture. I can count on them. I can count on them. When I look to my left, I can count them. When I look to my right, I can count. I can count on them. We having fun yet? <laughs> it's good stuff, I'm telling you. Not because I'm preaching it, because I believe God calls us to this. And he says, the whole book, and I'm going to read it here, and just have to read it right here. And listen to what Paul says. Do not be deceived. This is what I'm calling you to. Don't make it something else. Don't make it a counterfeit something else. This is what I'm calling you to, to live by the Spirit. We might as well just go ahead and read it since he's already saying it. Let's go. Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you live, you who? Now, you need to figure out, do I, do I identify myself here? Because if you identify yourself here, he's about to tell you something. If you don't want to live by the Spirit and you still want to live in the carnals we've talked about over the last few weeks and you want to stay in that, then this may not be for you. But if you want to live, those who live by the Spirit or led by the Spirit, here's the deal. Should restore the, you who live by the Spirit, back up a second. Brothers and sisters, someone is calling sin. You who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourself. Or you also may be tempted. And what I love about this, and I could preach on this whole passage of Scripture right here, what he's not, I don't believe Paul is talking about here that you'll be tempted to do what they did. This is what he's saying, don't be tempted. Make sure you understand that. Carry each other's burden, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone, here's the temptation, if anyone thinks they are something... See, the temptation is not to fall into the sin they were in, even though that could happen. Here's the temptation, right? It's because I've caught you in that sin that I'm better than you. Now I can compare. Now I can hold myself here, you here. That's the temptation. They deceive themselves. Did you know the whole again the whole book of the Galatians is about Paul trying to reiterate, do not deceive yourselves. The whole book. Each one should test their own actions. Then they may take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. The only one I ask to compare me, to examine me, to look over me is Jesus Christ. I, see, I can get a long ways if I live my life as my Christian life, compare myself to, and I won't point at you, okay? 
Because I know some of you, and man, I could point right at you and feel a lot better about my... No, I'm kidding about that. But my point is this. Boy, couldn't I live, couldn't I feel a whole lot better about my life if I just kept comparing myself to you? For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not, and there's a whole lot goes on right there around giving and being good to others, and I could preach on tithing and a lot of different things right there. But we won't. You're a blessed person today, because I'm not going to. No. Do not be deceived. Here he comes again. This is a statement. This is a promise. God cannot be mocked. And here he comes. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become, and some of you are here right now, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not what? Give up. Don't give up. Get up. (laughs) Get up. Let's go. Don't give up. I tell people, when they, especially early Christians, when they fall and stumble, what happens many times, and I'm about to get in trouble on time today because I'm going way off script here, but I'll tell you this, and I may be going to help some of you believers here, young believers, and I know we have them in the room today, that when you're, when you're on fire for the Lord, but you trip, you stumble over something. If you came to me, you know what I'd tell you? Don't give up. Get up. Keep walking. But here's what I want you to do before you start walking. And it goes back to what I've already talked about here in forbearance. Try to see what I tripped over. Identify it. There's two reasons why. One, I don't want to trip over it again. And I don't want those coming behind me to trip over it either. Please hear that. Young believers, those who've been following Christ a long time, don't give up, get up. Identify it. Not only for your good, but for what? The good of others. Paul also, and well, he goes on, let me finish this. Therefore, in other words, again, we always ask when we see therefore, what's it? Therefore, in other words, he's saying, all that I just said to you, everything I just said to you right here in this package, everything, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. I want to read this. A great warning he's given us here, isn't he? He's given us Romans 12, 3. I love what Paul says. It gets in my mind. It's one of the, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to you. And what that means is, I believe right there, not only sober judgment, what you think of yourself when you're a believer at one month or six months or a year and what you think of ten years better have changed. This is not, it's inevitable. If you are a believer in Christ, you should be growing. 
And somewhere along the way that you think, and I, 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 I get a little fired up about this, as you well know, somewhere along the way we have got it in the church that transformation is optional. There is nothing you can show that in Scripture. Nowhere. That being transformed into the likeness of Christ is an option? I mean, what I love about it is it's said in so many different ways. Just trying to go, I know you're a knucklehead, so I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to, oh, I know you're a knucklehead, so I'm going to say it this way. I'm going to try to say it in enough ways that somewhere along the way it sinks into you that this is not an option. It's making me tired, I'm telling you. I have no glitch in my hip doing this, though. I'm doing it. There you go. It's healing right there. But no, I, I, the reason why, guys, Christ came from freedom's sake. But Paul says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom's sake that he came. That you no longer stay in bondage. Why would you choose if you're sitting in a jail cell and the door has been swung open and you decide to still sit in the jail cell? You've been set free. That's good news. The gospel is good news. Anybody have any lunch plans? Yeah, I, I, I really... This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture to preach on because it begins to give you handles, I think. We talk about it, transformation, but then now we begin to get a picture of what that could look like. I'm very visual, so for me, this begins to help me. It begins to allow me to ask questions in my own life or even ask other people to speak into my life. It allows me a place to, a plumb line, if you will, to begin to measure. Not so I'll feel condemned because I don't measure, but I'll feel this is what God has in store for me. This is something good. This is something I can live into. So I hope you're hearing it from the spirit that I'm hoping to preach it today. But I'm going to step back to verse 1, and, we're going to, and I'm going to do the last two, real, hopefully pretty quick, of the last two traits that we've mentioned here. I've already mentioned it a little bit, and it's gentleness. Go back to the slide, if you would, up there. And meekness, humility. Do you know that kind? I believe kindness and gentleness walk hand in hand. Well, I think they all walk hand in hand. Let me say it. Oh, they all do. But when I think of gentleness, kindness is love dealing with others and their faults. And what I love, I read this somewhere along the way, says there is no greater mark of greatness and nobility of character than the ability to correct and rebuke in kindness. Because that's not most what we've ever heard in our life. I've played for enough coaches. <laughs> You've been parented by that parent who, they don't get it. And gentleness and meekness and kindness here cannot be confused with shyness, shyness or timidity or weakness. Because those come from a, a belief that you're inferior or you're insecure. 
Spiritual meekness or gentleness is not cowardice or lack of leadership. But here's the deal. Most of us, this whole concept of gentle strength is a new concept to most people in general in our culture. And again, the word gently he uses here, Paul uses here, is the same word as gentleness in the fruit of the Spirit. It's the exact same translation. And I love the definition. It's gentleness or meekness expresses power with self-control and gentleness. That's why these two are tied together. That's why this so I wanted to preach this week about those two being together. They didn't get lost. Because if you don't have self-control and self-discipline led by the Spirit, you will not have this. Because anger will take over. As we talked about last week when we deal with confrontation so many times, we deal with confrontation. The first thing we do, we don't check our hearts to see if my heart's right. Am I full of grace? Which we should always do. But secondly, we'll go in with the facts and just throwing things and sticking things against the wall and just throwing some of you looking at your marriages right now going, that's how we argue. No, this is self-control. It's self-discipline. You can't not have, you've got to have both. You don't gossip. You don't, you don't throw things out there just to see where it'll land. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 5, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, I can tell you, the first time I ever read that, I was a little thrown off because meekness feels a little mousy, a little weak, a little spineless. Thankfully, Jesus knew what he was talking about. Every now and then, he, gets, he falls into that accidentally, I guess. But the word meek is often used to describe animals whose naturally wild spirit had to be broken by the trainer. I'll come back to that in a minute. It's the opposite of self-absorbed. We've talked about it a few weeks ago, talking about this and self-control. I've talked about it two or three weeks. Timothy Keller says the three things, if you, if you are in a continuous loop of being bitter or angry and, and, and about something you want, there's three areas you need to check yourself, and it may be that stumbling block. One is, I am being blocked by approval. I'm being, being blocked by comfort. Somebody's breaking my comfort, or I'm being blocked because I want to be in control. Approval, comfort, control. If you're continuing a loop, look at those three. And that would even conclude your own life and God between not even somebody else. There are people who want to be in control when there's even no reason to be in control. It's so innate to them. You know what I say about people comfort wise? I heard this years ago. Many of you have heard it before. We need to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. <laughs> and growing up as a jock, the image of being a tough guy is one of the things you had to, had to almost always had to have. And one of the big adjustments coming to know the Lord at 27 years old was that the first time you're going to tell somebody, and I worked with those millwrights out at Max. I mean, all those guys are tough guys. All those guys are big guys. They're cussing. And, not, that doesn't make you tough, just so you know. But there's just a lot of things going on. But, but they were. The one thing I realized real quick was because you tell somebody that you have come to know Christ as your Savior, it doesn't make you, feel, doesn't make you sound macho. <laughs> It just didn't have that effect. <laughs> you got to be secure in who you are in Christ to move forward. Because 
you begin to live this out in kindness and gentleness and goodness, you become vulnerable. But you know what we, many of you know what we say about vulnerability here. There's a vulnerability from the strong and there's a vulnerability from the weak. There are circumstances where you can be vulnerable from the weak position. And that is, uh, you miss another paycheck, you're going to lose your house. Your finances are in such a weak, vulnerable state. Your marriage, if you have another argument or another thing, you're vulnerable enough where it may be over. We can be there spiritually as well. But vulnerable from the strong position is when a person intentionally makes themselves vulnerable for the good of the mission, the good of the advancement. It's like the point guy, it's like the point person in the, in the army who's out on front. He's on point. Now, it's not because he is not courageous. He is. It's not because he hadn't done all the training. He has. But he is vulnerable for the strong. He's vulnerable for the good of those behind him. Not for the hate even. What drives him is not the hate of what's in front of him. What drives him is the love for those behind him. Or she, either one. Jesus hanging on the cross. He was vulnerable. But let me tell you this. He says, no one takes my life, but I lay it down by my own accord. Nobody's going to call. I do it for the good of others. Jesus set the example for us. The greatest example of leading from the vulnerable of the strong, the meek. Let me say this back to love, and I hope I have time to do this here. One of the biggest challenges we have, in our, even in our culture today, when we talk about love, is that love equals tolerance and equality. That is a concept we've gotten in our head. That if you love me, then that means you are tolerant and you see me as equal. And let me explain it. Please listen here. Don't hear what I'm not saying. I believe they're equal in the eyes of God as they've been created in the image of God. They are precious in his sight as much as I am. So don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But people might say as Christians that if love is your goal, we should be the most tolerant in fighting for equality. First off, tolerance used to be, when I was growing up, that I can disagree with someone and we still be all right. That, that's what I used to understand tolerance to be. But tolerance has been defined to mean acceptance and approval. It's changed. So there comes conflict, right? Because the definition got changed without anybody really talking it through. Because <laughs> there's different forms of love. Phileo love, which is warm, affectionate, brotherly love. Philadelphia, we know that kind of love. We know eros, where the physical, sensual kind of love. But agape love is sacrificial love. Agape love is more than a feeling. It is the act of the will, but comes with great risk and responsibility. Can you imagine raising your children in your home with tolerance and equality? That a three-year-old should have the equal same thing as a parent should. A tolerance of going, whatever I want to do, you need to tolerate it. That doesn't seem like love to me. Not agape love, not sacrificial love, because you know you got a fight on your hands. You know you're going to have to step because you love them so much. You have to step in. 
You're vulnerable. You realize for a season, and I've gone through that as a parent, there are seasons things break down as a parent between you and your child because you believe with all your heart you're doing the best you can for them even though they may disagree. We may not have phileo love for someone. In other words, the word, Jesus says love your enemy even. But we always have to have agape love. Sacrificial love. I love what James Bryan Smith says. Our goal is not tolerance or equality, but love. That means I may have to speak the truth into someone's life. I may have to step into this in kindness and gentleness. And I may have to do that knowing that I have vulnerability of an exposure or a rift in our relationship. I love what Edward Darnell says. We were made in God's image. And he willingly sacrificed himself. If you've got that slide, I think you do. Uh, we were made in God's image and he willingly sacrificed himself for others. The more we come to know God, the more we understand our true nature, the more natural self-sacrifice will become for us. Maybe vulnerability is a true strength. Maybe sacrificing yourself for the good of others is not a sign of weakness, but it's the greatest power the world ever knows. Self-control. 2 Timothy 1.7 For the Spirit of God does not make us timid or fearful, but gives us power, love, and self-control. Maybe the most important trait, because I think it holds all the rest of them together, it begins to help us focus, it begins to make us realize It means our control over anger through the power of the Spirit, control over carnal passions, control over appetites. But self-discipline is not something most people like to talk about because it places all the responsibility squarely on us as the individual. It places it on us. In the world we live in today, it's a blame game. But spirit-filled people are not most people. We, most people would do it the opposite. But self-discipline, self-control, the end result of discipline is what? Freedom. It's not bondage. Getting to grow up around horses. and on, We had some guys in our town who would take some of the wildest horses in our town or on our property come to our house and try to do it and it's amazing to watch those guys break those horses but they're not trying to break their will they're trying to break their rebellion but not break their spirit and that's what the Holy Spirit comes to do in our lives Five twenty-four. It says, those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. In verse, chapter 6, verse 7, do, so, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And the great challenge in the reaping and sowing is there's a delay. 
If sin had more immediate consequences, there would be less of it. Say it again. If sin had more immediate consequences, I believe there would be less of it. As the Spirit, it's gradual as, they grow, as we grow in faith, but also sin. Because sin is ultimately the self delusion, is the, is the delusion of self sovereignty. We have come, many people who have come, and I have done this myself, I've somehow or another believed, I, I, I agree, it says God cannot be mocked. I agree with the reaping and sowing, except for one thing. I think I am the exception. I believe that I can grow bitter weed seeds. If you've ever been around bitter weeds, I can grow bitter weed seeds, sow those bitter weed seeds, and reap sweet corn. I believe that the consequences are really up to me, right? My decision is up to me, and the consequences I get to choose. Are you crazy? We all know that what Paul is saying here is that God cannot be mocked. We know he's right, except I am the exception. I believe I can come home at 7 or 8 o'clock at night. Been out saving the world all day. (laughs) I'm being funny there. And I can eat all I want to. And as I've said before here, one of my favorites, which I do not have in the house, that's part of my self-control, is, is, is Dreyer's Butterfinger ice cream. I believe I can eat two bowls of that at 10 o'clock at night and suspend metabolism, suspend insulin spikes. I can suspend all that, right? Because I have the right, and I'm the exception to the sowing and reaping thing. Are you crazy? You know what is your right and what is right? It's what lines up with God's righteousness. It just always has been. The problem with sin, as Paul is referring to here, to restore. The problem with sin, put the the slide up there in holiness, which is what we've been reaching for until we get to here. I don't know if we have that or not. There it is. It's really funny, and I just one day hit me, that sin is about, if it had a job, it's about separation. It's separate me from God and separate me from others. Holiness, separate to set apart, to be set apart for God's holy use. Two opposites, but they go the same place. Sin also creates isolation. You got the next slide? Is that it? Oh, there it is. Which, sin leads to isolation. Holiness leads to reconciliation. Put the next slide up. Sin leads to separation, isolation, devastation. Holiness leads to separ- set, set, being set apart, reconciliation, and restoration. We have to come to the point... As Paul says, you cannot continue to reap so over here and think you're going to reap this. He says, stay in step with the Spirit. Galatians 5. But self-sovereignty does this. 
God being the only one who's sovereign does this. And what a calling of reconciliation and restoration. You should not be guessing as a believer in Jesus Christ where you're headed. There should be self-discipline. There should be self-control. There should be a plan. You have been created with a great purpose. You need to be trying to figure that out. But let me tell you this. The greatest purpose that you have is to be created and transformed to the image of Christ. Romans 12, 1 and 3. Go back a second. Hold on a second. Put up 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. I love what this, my, my vision of this. 1 Corinthians 9, 25 through 27. For everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do not do it to get a crown that will last but they do it to get a crown. You know, they do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a, someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave, so that when, after I have preached to others, I myself, I myself, will not be disqualified for the prize. I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I, I do not, I, I think of, now how many remember Fred Sanford, Sanford and Son years ago? Anybody remember when Fred would do this boxing thing? That's what I think of. I think of Fred Sanford every time. Because I'm just up here. There's no way. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Josiah, you guys come on down, please. See, I believe when we run aimlessly, that leaves so much room for depression and purposelessness and waste of good, good time. Many years ago, I had a young college student in Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, back to that, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offering yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, that is your reasonable act of worship. No longer conforming to the pattern of this world, but being transformed, a morpho, from a caterpillar to a butterfly, by the renewing of your mind. Now, what I love here is you need to circle if you got it somewhere. Then. It's only then. God's love is unconditional, but his promises are conditional. Let me say it again. God's love is unconditional, but his promises are conditional. Then you'll be able to test. In other words, know. It literally means to know and approve. literally means there to embrace it. You'll not only know it, you'll want to live it. What God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Many years ago, I had a young man, college student, said, Kurt, I go to college. I don't know what I want to do. You know, I, I sat with my buddies. They're going to be a lawyer, an engineer, and all this kind of stuff. I don't know, I, I don't know what I'm going to be. He kept saying, I don't know what I'm going to be. And I just said, slow down a second. What they're telling you is that's what they're going to do the rest of life, your, their life. But Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, God's more concerned about who you're going to be than what you're going to do. So I said, next time somebody says to you, hey, I'm going to be an engineer. I'm going to be this or that. I, I, if I didn't know what I was going to do, I'd say to them, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do with life, but I'm going to tell you what I'm going to be. I'm going to be a man of kindness. I'm going to be a man of goodness. I'm going to be a man of forbearance. I'm going to be a man of joy. I'm going to be a man of peace. I'm going to be that. I'm not sure what all I'll do in life. It's probably going to be a lot of things. But I for darn sure know what I'm going to be. And that changes everything. It just changes everything.
Why don't you stand as we close? You may even get out here in time for lunch. Yeah, we did get there. Thank goodness. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being patient. Thank you for your forbearance this morning. You're right to leave, but you didn't. God's a good God. He just says, and some of you are tired. He said, don't grow weary in doing good. For when the time comes, we will reap. We, he didn't say, oh, maybe so. Let's hedge our bets. Maybe that. No. Oh. He says, we will reap a harvest. Don't grow weary in doing good. But friends, some of you just got to become good. And I don't mean that in a judgmental. You got to let the Spirit begin to live out in your life where your desire, your true desire is not about you anymore. It's about Him and it's about them. And you're trying to figure out ways to heap blessings and benefits on others. And it'll change the world around you. We're going to close. I want to go reckless love if we can. And these altars in the Church of the Nazarene, we have kept them. And hopefully they'll never be anywhere else except right here. But we believe it's a place to come and kneel and pray. If you want someone to pray with you, we'll come behind you maybe along the way. If you don't, that's cool too. You can pray where you are. But we're going to sing a worship song to close this series out about God's reckless love. And one of the phrases in there that I would just hope and pray that for some of you is burned in your mind and heart. For me, not only the mountain that he had to climb, but the walls he had to break down to get to you. Some of you have asked today, where has God been? And I'll tell you, he's been where he's always been, chasing after you. That's where he's been. Lord, thank you for this time. Thank you for these moments like this as we come together as a family, loving each other gently with goodness and wanting the best for everyone. There's a great hope of reconciliation. There's a great hope to you and to others, Lord. Help us today. For whatever need someone may have, that they will come and pray as they are led by your spirit, not by this man, not by anything else, but your spirit. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. You come if you feel led. God bless you.